more comfort and more money equals happiness. It, it doesn't actually equal happiness. We say that out loud, but when we act, we tend to act like, but money will make me happy if I just had more, if I just had more of it. Um, so we learned that actually you can be happy no matter what state you are in. And we learned about everything that Paul had gone through and that he was still content and happy after all that. Um, we, the Bible says, you know we're going to have ups and downs, but that, that you can be happy no matter what is something that most of us don't embrace that well. So as we've gone through Philippians 4, we have contrasted a bunch of things. We've contrasted how the world looks at relationships. We've contrasted how the world treats anxiety and stress in our lives. And we've contrasted how the world looks at happiness and what gives you happiness. Does, does everybody know that God wants you to be happy? It's all right. God wants you to be happy today. So today we're going to finish up Philippians 4 and contrast how we're supposed to deal with other people generously. Generously. I know everybody's already thinking he's gonna, this is the money sermon. It, it is kind of the money sermon, which is, it's, it's okay though. It's not, it's not going to be bad, I promise. Who knows here, and you're allowed to say, who knows what percentage a Christian is supposed to give to the church? One-tenth. One-tenth, right? We're supposed to tithe. The definition of a tithe is 10% of income. Okay, and now this one's a little harder. Is that on gross or net income? Anybody know the answer to that one? Gross income. I'm actually not touching that today. I just wanted to see what everybody thought about that. Um, so, get, somebody give me a guess. What do you think in America the actual percentage is that Christians give? Do you know? I thought I heard it was 2.3. It's 2%. That's right. 2.3 is more accurate, probably. It's 2%. In the American church, it's 2% is given. They say that if 10% were given, there'd be something like 480 billion extra dollars in the church, Whoa. just in America. That's the kind of money we're talking about between 2 and 10% of Christians, people who, who identify as Christian. That's a lot of money. Um, in history, the tithe was actually a tax. When the, church was, when the church was partly government and in charge of everything, you didn't get the choice of whether I give my 10% or not. It was a tax. But in America, we are... We are freely able to give whatever we'd like. Um, this is usually a topic that most of us don't want to deal with. Most of us don't want to talk about. But I think, I think there's something really key here that we miss. And it's actually pretty exciting. So that's what we're going to talk about today as we, flip, we finish off Philippians 4. This one tends to make or break your happiness. There's, we talked about a lot of things that make or break happiness. Finances, for a lot of people, make or break your happiness. Depending on the week you had can make or break your happiness. Depending on whether, what's our list? The car broke down. We had to go to the hospital and pay a copay. You know, we, we list the things, right, that we have to pay for all the time. I'm not actually going to spend a lot of time going over what the, how the world views money. I think we know that. I think we've hit on it quite a bit. I'll just, I'll, I'll leave it to a couple things. In Proverbs 14:12, Solomon says, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It's the way of death. 
problem is we all in this room and we all in this country and we all in this world have the exact same disease, the exact same sin disease, so greed tastes right in our mouths most of the time. It's normal, and everyone else around us has it, so nothing stands out. We never deal with it because we all kind of have the same disease. The world's way to happiness is to have more and more money until we have so much it overcomes the hardships that are naturally occurring in our lives. Has anybody ever seen that, though? All the way to fruition? That's the promise. If you have more, 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 eventually I'll overcome everything. You can have more, 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 more and have a heart attack. You can have more, 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 more and have divorce. And you can have more and then lose it all and change your life that way. It's the way that leads to death. This is the way Satan likes. This is the way he's set up for us. This is where he's most comfortable is when we're all discontent. We want more, we want more, we want more. We get it. It's not as good as we thought, so we want more, we want more, we want more. And we're just always discontent. We always want a little bit more of something. It leads to anxiety, which we talked about. It leads to, um, really, instead of God owning your bank account, Satan owns your bank account. I don't want to be like that. It's the way to poor relationships, and it's the way to depression. And most importantly, often when you're discontent, you're not telling others about God. You're not telling others about salvation because you're too discontent to get past it. So that's sort of that little touch on the world's view. We're going to spend a minute in 1 Timothy. If you want to look, about, look at verses um, for money, you can spend three months just reading through and digesting them. The Bible's full of verses on stewardship and money and giving. But we're just going to hit a little bit on it. So 1 Timothy 6, and I'm going to read 4 through 10. Starts right off with this. They are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy and strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. We'll stop right there for a second. There were people in context, there were people teaching in Paul's day that the way to get rich was a godly life. That this was the out, if you were a godly person, you would be rich. Now Jesus didn't teach that. There's still people teaching that right now. There's, there's people on TV who say, if you just send us $500, God will certainly give you $10,000. And that's the way to get rich. Please don't buy that. That isn't the way God works. That isn't the way God blesses. We'll go on. Verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Find that verse in your Bible and underline it. And memorize that one. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to be rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is a scary passage, really, but it's a good summary of what it is to, be, to have greed in your life. And he uses strong words here. He talks about plunging people into ruin and destruction. 
talks about piercing and griefs, falling into temptation and into traps. This is that life that Satan wants for you. He's, he's, he's comfortable with it because he set it up so there's all these traps between you and the end. It's time to get out of that one. We're going to talk about a different one. But how about most Christians? How do most Christians treat money? So this is how it goes for a lot of Christians. And I'm just going to do a little illustration here. I got a, a million-dollar bill. Don't worry, it's not real. I'm not going to deface. It actually has Bob Saget's face on it, if you know who that is. So, yeah, you sh- he's not dead. It's okay. It's, it's not real. So this is how it goes for a lot of Christians when it's time to give, okay? This is the money you have for a month, let's just say. So it's different for all of you, but... This is the money that you have for a month. And most of you who are really good and actually have a budget say, okay, this part here is my car payment, and this part's my mortgage, my utilities, and my food, and whatever else, my phone. You, you divvy it up, right? And a lot of times the last thing you think about, and I colored it in orange, you probably can't see it. This is about a tenth. We, we identified that as tithe, right? This is about a tenth. Um, and so now... It's Sunday morning, and you haven't thought about it, usually. And so you have to write the check to the church. And first of all, you can't find your checkbook, partially because you're trying not to find your checkbook. If I don't find it, I don't have to write the check. That's, that's my goal, right? If I, don't have to, if I don't find that checkbook, I'm not writing the check to the church. But you find it, and there it is, right in the same place it always is. And you're opening it thinking, boy, if there's no checks in here, I don't have to write a check. There's no checks in here, and then you open it, and there's 30 checks in there, because most of us don't write checks anymore, so you got plenty. Um, and so, so now you have to write the amount, and this is where things get a little tricky. I know what 10% is of my gross, so I have a figure in mind. And then the thoughts start entering in. Like, the church doesn't need my money, or... Every time they get my money, they do something silly with it. Why should I give them any more of my money? Or how am I ever going to get ahead? How am I going to keep up with my peers who don't give 10%? I'm never, I, I got to keep up with everybody else. They're not giving 10%. Or maybe it's even worse than that. You know, how am I going to take care of my family this week if I give that 10%? We're not going to make our bills as it is. So all these thoughts start to come in. And a nice round figure starts to enter your mind. Let's say 10% should be 150, but that nice round figure isn't 150. It's, it sounds like 20 makes more sense now. 20 just sounds like a good round number. And so instead of lopping that off, you take your 2% and you lop that off. That's about what happens, right? I've seen, and so some of you are way better at it, right? First part of the month, you write all your bills. And just like every other bill, you're really good about the church, and there it goes. There goes the 10%. Whew! Whew! Glad I don't have to think. I don't want to think about that anymore. It's over. It's done with. My bills are taken care of for the, week, for the month. What I'm trying to get across is generosity, compassion for other people, is not writing a bill to your church. It's not it. 10%. Is, pro- is the starting place, but it's, it's, not, it's not just writing a bill. We're going to learn later that God loves a cheerful giver. 
We hear that all the time, right? God loves a cheerful giver. How many people are actually cheerful when they give? So we're going to look at that today. We're going to get really practical and look at what the Philippians did. Um, this thing that is uncomfortable for us, I'm hoping changes so that we can be cheerful. Because this, this thing that we have in common is just like rotting us from the inside. Greed just kind of rots you. So just a quick reminder as we turn to Philippians 4, Paul's writing to a church. He's writing to a group of believers that he knows, and these people have given him money so that he can continue with the ministry. And he's, part of this is he's writing a thank you letter. So Philippians 4, 14, I'm going to do 14 through 16 to begin with. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I sent when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was, with, when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So before you think that this is a megachurch, Philippi was not a megachurch. Philippi was a small church with slaves in it. These people had to sacrifice in order to give. This was not this, so this may be a lot like our church, might be a lot like you, that you would have to sacrifice in order to give. But they decided to give to Paul's ministry anyway. And they did it as a practice. You can see him say, you, did, you gave it to us over and over and over again in need. So what can we learn from this? And this is the first line in your notes. It says, develop compassion by putting others' needs before your own. We've established it doesn't come naturally to us. So you have to develop this. You're not going to one day just, you, could, you might just leave here and think, wow, that sounded really nice. But one day is not just going to change you. This is going to take practice. It doesn't come naturally to us. So what is this compassion? Well, first let me tell you what it isn't. It isn't looking at someone else and feeling sorry for them and deciding to sort of condescend from your position to help them out. A lot of people give money. Um, a lot of people give money to make themselves feel a little better, and then they let everybody know about it by saying, "I got a prayer request for such and such that I gave money to." So I'm glad it made you feel good, and I'm glad you gave that money. But your reward—that was it. That feeling of ah, I feel good. You know, look at me, I gave some money to somebody. That's the reward. That's separate from an eternal reward. You just got it. Let's look at also what it's not. And this one I fall into, so I'm, I'm, I'm talking to myself here just as much. It's not looking at somebody else's situation and going through your mental checklist of what they deserve. And, and, and do they meet your criteria for having money? So, should you be wise with how you give money? Of course you should. Are there some people who you should not support them continuing to do what they're doing? Of course. But that attitude comes from, this is my money, and here's my checklist, and your checklist doesn't usually match up with God's checklist. Are there people who are in bad situations because they put themselves there? There are. But if all you're thinking about is that mindset of, look at where they are, look at what they did, why should I give them any money? That's your money talking. That's yours, and only you get to decide how it's shared. 
So let's look at something else here. Instead of looking at our money like every cent came from God, which most of us would agree with, if I asked you, does 100% of your money come from God? Hopefully everybody would say yes. You're a church, right? That's how we work. We say yes to those kind of easy ones. Yes, it did. But, but, you can agree with that statement and not believe it. You can agree with it and say, yes, I understand that all my stuff comes from God. But you can believe it and live that way. Those are two different things. Today you're going to have a chance to not just agree, but actually believe. Here's my statement. Every single financial decision you make is a spiritual decision. That 10% that we give off the top, that is awesome. That's saying, my first fruits, 10% right away go to God. That's awesome. That's saying, God, you've been awesome to me. But you know what that is? That's like training wheels. 10% is training wheels. 10% was not meant to be permanent. 10% was to train you how to give. 10% was to say, God, my first fruits, here they are. But God, he talks about it throughout the rest of the Bible about where your time should be spent, where your money should be spent, and what that means. It's awesome because it's making a statement that God is the Lord of your finances. It is a practice we need to take a next step on. If God doesn't have hold of your finances, and this is, this is so true, everybody should agree with this. If God doesn't have hold of your finances, your Christian life is like constantly battling two masters. There's you and your money, and then there's God. If you say that God gave you 100% of what you have, then he should be involved in your budget. He should be involved in where your money goes and how your time is spent. The next step, the next uh, line you have here is from the Philippian model is to develop an eternal perspective. Eternal perspective. Philippians 4, 17 through 18. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. This isn't a thank you letter saying, thanks very much, please send more. This is a thank you very much. Keep training yourselves how to give because you know what matters? Not your bank account here, but your eternal bank account. And that that matters. Are you storing for yourself treasures in heaven? I, I encourage everybody who hasn't been coming to our Sunday school about heaven, I encourage you to come, but here's what I want you to get. Heaven is a real place, and it is not you floating around. It is real. There's a physical body you will have, and there is a physical place you will be living. And right before you enter that place, you're going to have to answer to Jesus saying, yeah, I believed, I, I, I agree, you gave me 100%, and this is what I did with it. This is what I did with it. I hope that when you get there, you can say, this is what I did with it. God, I tried to do what you said. I tried to practice giving. I tried to be generous. And not just, God, I gave my 2 to 10% every month or every week. There's more to it. Every, every bit of that money is a spiritual decision. But Paul, Paul here is saying, I'm good. I'm paid up. So the Philippians had a view of their money that it was a better investment to send it to God's kingdom than to keep it for themselves. 
If you still had your f- finger in First Timothy, if not, I'm just going to read um, 6, 17 through 19. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides for everything for our enjoyment. Command them to be good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may hold, they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So this is not the life Solomon was talking about, that life that seems right but leads to death. This is the life that's truly life. And, and God's going to provide for all of your needs. This is not just a financial message. Your generosity may be mainly financial if we're thinking about it that way, but it says God will provide for all of your needs. So if I told you that if you lived this way for six months, you would see that maybe all of your relationships got 25 to 50% better, wouldn't you take that? I'd take that. My message today is not that it's evil to get rich. God blesses people. God wants us to enjoy this. But if everything that you have is in debt, then you need to reevaluate. He doesn't give you things so that you can borrow to have just the stuff that you want. You know, but God does want to bless us greatly. So we just have to get our thinking, our mindset about this right first. The Bible has a lot to say about stewardship too. I said that before. So keep that in mind. This is not the stewardship, stewardship message. I'm not telling you to make silly decisions and give silly. That's not my message. The message is if all of your money is God's, look at it that way. And he'll show you what you can ask from your budget so that you can do this over here instead, so you can support a church better or you can support a missionary better. He'll show you what those things are and give you peace about it. Don't need the internet. Don't need cable, maybe. Don't need this, the third phone or whatever. He'll give you an idea about that. Pray about it. If you're wise and, and generous, God will bless you, though. It's, it may not always be financial, but God's going to be blessing you. So we've got to look at how do we do this. Your next line says, So how do we gain happiness about giving if it doesn't come naturally? It's put your faith in the one that blesses beyond understanding. Put your faith in him. Philippians 4.19 And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Okay, so does anybody think that, that anything's left out? If, he has, if it's based on his riches, he's going to cover it, right? That's everything. So you've got to put your faith in him. So this is where you find out whether you agree or whether you believe that all of your money is his, all of it. So let's look at a principle that most of us grasp. We live in farm country, right? Most of us understand crops at least a little bit. I plant a small seed, and what comes out of the ground is bigger, right? Whether it's corn or wheat or, or whatever, it gets, it's bigger. If I plant a kernel of corn... Did everybody, I feel like everybody's missing maybe something in the notes. Did we miss a line or something? Number three. 
Put your faith in the one that blesses beyond understanding. Sorry about that. <clears throat> anyway, so we have this, the principle of the sower and the seed. This is true in creation. This is true throughout the Bible. The sower and the seed is true everywhere you look. But if I plant a kernel of corn today, should I expect the harvest today? No, right? It would be nice. But it's, it's seasons, right? There's a season of sowing and there's a season of reaping. And this is the same in our lives. So everybody turn to 2 Corinthians, please. 2 Corinthians 9, and this is 6 through 11. And we're going to take it sort of one piece at a time. So we're going to do verse 6 first. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So I know that most of you do not have a garage full of seed. Probably not the case. This is your money. This is your money. So whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. That's pretty self-explanatory. I'll leave that one at that. Verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is giving with the right heart, and this is often the part that's the most difficult, and it's the part that we need the most practice about. You aren't always going to feel like giving. Does everybody always feel like giving? There's times where you do it because God told you to. That's faith. I don't feel like giving. I don't even feel like I have enough money. But out of faith, God, you told me to do it. I'm doing it anyway because I know that you're going to take care of me. So it doesn't mean that even when we're not cheerful, we don't give. But God loves it when you come to a place where you're giving cheerfully. You're giving out of this heart of compassion. Let's go on. Verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that, we'll stop right there, so that you can have a good retirement, right? So that you can retire and have a boat. So that you can have three houses. Okay, let's see what it actually says. So you can be generous on every occasion and through your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. He's going to give you more so that you can give more. Give you more is the, is the concept of proportional giving. He's, he's blessed you and you're blessing more people because of it. Not just because... When your gross goes up, that 10% increases. That's not the same thing. It's you give more because he's given you so much more. So when you give like this, God will not just increase your finances. He will increase you in every part of your life. And this makes sense. If I'm more generous, I'm a better spouse. I'm a better friend. I'm a better fellow church member. I'm better for the, the body of Christ. Um... It makes good sense. If you're a generous person and you have a generous heart, your heart is now softened toward people who it once was really hard about because you're looking at them out of compassion. It's starting to change your heart. So 
it comes down to this. If your treasure is in heaven, that's where your heart goes. Right? The Bible says wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be also. So if my treasure is, it, is in heaven and trying to build up that storehouse, that's where my heart, that's where I'm going to want to do it. This thing called being generate or generosity is not something you can only accomplish if you're super holy or if you win the lottery. It's not just out of excess, and it's not just if you're Mother Teresa. It's for everybody all the time. And a lot of us can't see it. I, I have the same problem. If I have excess, that means I'm, that's when I'm able to give better. That's the only way I can see it working. God, how could I possibly give when I live on this tight of a budget? I've been poor my whole adult life, or at least what I consider poor. How could I, how could I deviate from my budget and give? <clears throat> the Bible teaches the opposite. Give when it feels like you can't and you'll reap the, you'll reap the rewards of excess. Give when it feels like you can't and you'll reap the rewards. And that excess might not all be financial gain, but you will be a, better, you will be a different person. You'll be a more effective person for Christ. I heard about this story this week as I was preparing. This guy, in his first year of marriage, went to a conference on proportional giving. And he said um, to his brand new wife, you know, first wife, but brand new wife, why don't we give 11% this year? And let's just see what happens. Let's test it. So they get through one year, nothing breaks. They make actually like a couple thousand more than they did the year before. Say, so, okay, good. Next year, they give 12%. Same thing, nothing really breaks. You know, they get through it. This guy's telling the story after 60 years of marriage. And they increased 1% every year. Every single year. And this guy had a lake house. And he had a nice car. And another house. God blessed him. God blessed him richly. But his, his explanation is, why would I store up for myself treasure here that rots? I can't take it with me. What am I doing? It's way wiser to invest in the kingdom so that the returns are 10 and 100 and 1,000 times what I put in. Why would I live the other way? That, that pretty well stuck with, that stuck with me. So let's apply this. What are some practical steps? And all I did was I just left you some blank space at the bottom because this has really got to be your idea. I'm going to give you some suggestions. But if, if you're going to practice things that are going to make you generous, it's got to be something that you do and that you, you want to do. So here's some. This one you shouldn't get away with, though. Pray. I'm about to give you several things that will take some of the money in your pocket and put some of the money into somebody else's pocket. But it should be prayed about. We believe that's 100% God's. We should pray. We should know where God's leading us to give. Number two, if you aren't giving 10%, start now. That's the one. That's an easy one to start with. 10% is the tithe. 10% is what Jesus preaches on. 10% is what the Bible teaches. That's your starting place to say that, God, you've given me everything. Right off the top, I'm giving back to you. Right off the top, I'm giving you back some of what you've given me already. If you're giving 10%, add something to it. Pray that God will stick a percentage in your mind. Somebody told me about this this week. They said, I really prayed and prayed, and this is the amount that it's stuck in my head, and I can't get rid of it. Well, God will tell you. God will show you what it should be. So when you pray, and the number that comes back, you're like, whoa, you know, that's crazy talk. That can't be God telling me that, that it should be 15 or 20 or whatever. 
Whatever He tells you, it'll stick with you. Pray about it and let it, let it stick in your heart. Number four, and I started this this week. You know, this one was pretty, pretty fun, actually. Have money with you at all times that the only purpose you have it is to find ways to give it away. That doesn't mean you just find the next person that is around and hand them money. But you have money in your pocket. And so this is, for some of us, it might be 10 $1 bills or $21 bills. Some of us, it might be 10 $5 bills. Some of us, it might be 20s. Some of us, it might be 100s. Depends on where you're at. But have something with you that you can give away so that when God prompts you, you don't have to even think about it. It's right there waiting. It's going to force you to change your heart. Instead of thinking about how can I get, how can I get, how can I get, get, get all the time, you're going to look for creative ways to give and give and give and give. So when you see that single mom who's in the grocery store struggling with a kid and everyone's looking at her like, man, I wish you'd get out of here with that kid who's so loud. You're really annoying. You be the one that walks up and hands her $20 and says, you know what, God loves you. I hope you found a church. And if you haven't, you know, let me pray for you. And help her carry her bags out. You think that will have more of an impact than my sermon will today. That will have more of an impact on a person than any sermon has on anybody. Because that's you giving of yourself and being willing to. And she'll know that you're genuine. So have something with you to give. Number five, you can do a biblical study on giving. I, I suggest it. Don't take my word for any of it. You know? Don't take my word for it. Go through and say, God, teach me how to give, and he'll teach you how to give. He'll teach you what it means to have a financial life and do it right. Number six, I say this every week almost, give yourself a challenge that has a time frame. Say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out what you'll do. For 90 days, I am going to do this. I'm going to start off, I give by 10%. I'm going to eliminate this thing from my budget so that I can give an extra 2%. And then after that time frame, look back and say, what happened? Take stock. What happened? Did, was it good? Did good things happen? Was it all financial? Was it other things? Look back and, and measure what happened. All right, number seven. This is the last one. Memorize Malachi 3.10. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And this is what he says. Malachi 3.10 Bring the whole tithe into my storehouse and there, <clears throat> that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. We're dealing with the one who has everything and is going to bless you. Test him on it then. Don't test him on the other stuff, but say, God, I want to see what you'll do in my life. I'm willing to, uh, by faith, give, and, I'll, and God, blow me away by what you'll do. Blow me away with it. I'll close with this. The Philippian church sowed a seed in Paul because they believed that God would honor it. And I would suggest that that church is still reaping that reward because we've got most of the New Testament because they invested in Paul. God gave first. God gave his son to change the world. And now God uses people to invest in each other to change the world. 
You're the hands and the feet. Jesus doesn't have a physical body here with us right now. You're his hands and feet. If you're in a situation where you think he would be generous, that's your guide. Be generous if you think he would be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we, God, I pray that we would be happy givers and not make this a bill, but that we would learn from you, God, that if we want to be happy, it's much greater to give than to receive. I thank you for what you've done for us, each of us. God, we live in a rich country where most of us are pretty comfortable. And I thank you for that, God. You've blessed this country. And I pray that you will bless these people and that each one will look at, at what they're doing right now and say, God, what can I do for you? Because, God, I want to see this church, when we're all in heaven and together, have stores up there of treasure that we've stored in the right place. I thank you, God, for all this in your name. Amen.